Open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Now, we have been studying the book of Galatians for a year or so, and um, this morning's text really ties together the whole book. And it's such a powerful message. It's such a powerful tool for us to understand who we are in Christ, how to live the Christian life. So let me review just a little bit. The book of Galatians was written to the people of Galatia. And there were the Gauls. These would be, if you think of Irish or Scottish type people. That's who this was written to. And they were wild fighters. Just uh, the, the Romans loved to bring them in and use them as mercenaries. And they were very brave, very bold, courageous people. But they were also fickle people. They changed their minds very easily. Does that sound like America? Nobody wants to fight the United States of America. But I've never seen people vacillate so much in their opinions. When you watch the polls, you know, like with the Republican primary, don't worry, this is not a, this is not a political message this morning. But when you watch the Republican primary, one minute Newt Gingrich is the savior of the world. The next minute he's an idiot. You know, Rick Perry is going to be the one and then he's a fool. And then the next one's going to be Sarah Palin, and she's going to save the world. And then, no, she can't do it. I've never seen people more fickle than the American people. And that's us, isn't it? That's us. I, I think of the song by Robert Robertson, and he, he said, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's who we are. How are we going to keep from that? How many of you want to walk with the Lord until He takes you home? How many of you, that's your desire? Amen? And through the Holy Spirit, we can do that. That's the promise of the Word of God. But we all know people who would have agreed with that statement who are now not walking with the Lord. So how do we keep walking with the Lord? What do we do? Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Let's start reading in verse 1. And it's such an encouraging verse. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it? By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, let me deal with that verse 5 real quickly. I don't know that I've... I can't remember what I've told you. So, uh, I, I want to I deal with this one thing. The Apostle Paul is not the one who's ministering the Holy Spirit or doing works. God is the one who's doing that. That's, that's what the text is saying. And God did that in you as you received Him by faith. As you believed Him by faith, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt in you. As, as you believed Him by faith, works were done in your body and your spirit. And, and, and that still happens today. Amen? Okay, so no one here is giving someone else the Holy Spirit. It's God that's doing it. Verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Now, that verse right there has caused as much trouble as any verse in the Bible. So we're going to address some of that today. Look at verse 7, or verse 8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, And thee shall all, the nation, shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to understand this pivotal passage of Scripture. Lord, this could be a real turning point in the lives, in the life of someone in this room. Father, I pray that it's a turning point in my life. Father, help us to understand Your Word. Help us to have it, have it clearly presented and clearly understood because Your Word is clear. Father, help there to be no confusion. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Now, you're going to need your Bible today. If you don't have one with you, we do have Bibles provided for you in the pew. If you're, we're going to be in about four different books of the Bible today, so if you're not sure where the books are, there's a table of contents in the front of that Bible, and don't be afraid to use it. Amen? So let's go. Let's dig in. There's some stuff that's going on here. Look at verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What is going on here? Well, God declared Abraham to be righteous on the basis of his belief. That's what the Bible says. Abraham didn't have any righteousness of his own, just like we don't have any righteousness of our own. The Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So you imagine you opened up a present for Christmas. This is awesome. And it's dirty rags. Thanks. Right? That's what all of our good works are to God. Why is that? Why is that? Because He's perfect. He's holy. He's sinless. He's undefiled. And we are sinful in our very DNA. Our flesh is sinful. I mentioned to you, I think last week, that I was watching the news and one of these men that was from an atheist group in Minnesota or Wisconsin or something was protesting a nativity scene in Texas. And he said it was offensive because the idea that a savior needed to come meant that he was sinful. And that's offensive. That's insulting. Sorry. We are sinful. That's just who we are. That's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's wonderful love. That's not insulting. That's amazing help. Can you imagine if you were starving to death and someone brought you some food and you said, that's insulting. Why do you think I need it? Well, because you're dying. That's what Jesus Christ came to provide for us. Life. He came to give us life. So, God declared Abraham righteous based on his belief. Belief in what? All right, keep your place in Galatians and go with me back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Now, because... Go to chapter 12 first, and I'll show you where most commentators would take you for the cross-reference. And I'm going to show you why this would not be complete. All right, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, now you see the name Abram? He changed his name to Abraham later. That huh that he added is the Spirit of God. It's interesting. But here he's Abram. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. All right, go back to Galatians with me. Keep your place in Genesis, because we're coming back. I always tell you that too late. Look at Galatians. And look with me in verse 8. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, And thee shall all nations be blessed. So you can see the cross-reference. In Genesis it says all families shall be blessed. And here it's saying all nations shall be blessed. And while that's not exactly the same thing, you can see why there is some similarity there. Would you all agree with that? And so God did preach that, and Abraham did believe that. And Abraham became obedient. But that's not why God justified Abraham, according to the Word of God. That's not complete. That's where it began, but that's not where Abraham was justified. Let's look at where he was justified. Look at Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision. Now, if you mark your Bible, you might want to mark the word of the Lord there because we're going to be coming back to that thought here in a few minutes. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. 
I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Now, if you weren't familiar with the story, you'd be thinking, wait a minute, this seems kind of rude. Here God reveals himself to Abram, and the first thing Abram does is starts complaining. Well, wait a minute, I'm childless. You said you were going to give me something. That almost sounds like a little child, right? Mine, 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 mine. But no, God had promised Abram something. He had promised to make of him a great nation. And here he is, he's 100 years old and doesn't have any kids. And he's thinking, oh, Lord, it's getting a little late. What's going on? So that's, what's, that's the context. And it's understandable. Verse 3. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this shall not be thine heir. So who's not going to be his heir? Eliezer. Eliezer was a servant that he loved. And remember, he sends Eliezer to find uh, his, his son Isaac a bride. And he, uh, Isaac, uh, and he goes and finds Rebekah. And it's just a, an amazing and it's a beautiful story. I've got to tell you, this story is cool. He goes, Lord, how am I... He stops and he prays and he says, Lord, how am I going to know which one is going to be the bride? Because Abraham didn't want a Canaanite to marry his wife. He wanted somebody from his own kindred. Or to marry his son. He wanted his own kindred. So he sends him back to his own land. And as Eliezer gets there, he stops and he prays. He says, Lord, how am I going to know which one is the one? And he said, he found that he saw a well. So before he got to the well, he said, God, here's how, here's how you, you can reveal her to me. If I ask one for water and she says, let me feed your camels. Let me water your camels also. So he gets to the well. And here comes this girl, and she is babelicious. <laughs> he's looking at her, and he's saying, God, I think that's the one. And so he asks her, could you get me some water? And she said, yes, and let me water your camels also. You know what I was thinking about? A camel drinks like 150 gallons of water. And he had 10 camels with him. So she had to haul 150 gallons of water for each of those 10 camels. You know what I'm thinking? Rebecca had some guns. I'll bet you she was cut. So this is Eliezer. And Eliezer's faithful, and he's one that God, or that Abraham trusted, even with the bride of his son. And he said, this is the one that, I, that will be my heir. In my wisdom, by my way of thinking, this is the guy that you ought to build the nation through. God said, no, he's not going to be your heir. Verse 4 again. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Now, and he said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. So here's what he does. That guy's not going to be your heir. Your seed's not going to come from him. I'm going to give you a seed. And he says, come outside with me. Look at this. And he pointed up at the sky. Count the stars. That's how many your descendants are going to be. That's how many your seed's going to be. That's pretty wild, isn't it? That's a lot of kids. And now look at verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. It's very simple. Was Abraham justified by leaving the land? No. Abraham was justified by believing what God said about his children. That's it. He believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. But what did he believe? He believed the Word of God. He believed God, that God would give him a seed and make of him a great nation. And God is saying, in effect, though you have no righteousness of your own, I will take your faith and account that for sufficient righteousness in my sight. You see that? You, you don't, you're not righteous. You don't have any righteousness. And even after you believe, you still don't have righteousness. But because of my grace, because you believed my word, I'm going to count that 
as righteousness. Simple faith. Simple faith. And God counted that as righteousness for him. Now, I've got to tell you, I can't make a great nation at 100 years old. Amen? I can't do that. I can't do that. But I can believe what God said. I can believe that God can do that. You see, that's how Abraham was justified. He believed the Word of God. So now let's go back to Galatians. So we're at verse 6 again, Galatians 3, 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. I like that, accounted. Do you see that? Accounted. What does that make you think of? An accountant. An accountant. So you have a ledger. Now, I don't know how to use a ledger. But the way I understand it is, on a ledger, you have an entry that says that you owe something. And then there's another entry when that's paid. Is that right? So Abraham, on his ledger, he had a debt, and it was called sin. And that sin was bad enough to take him to hell. Now, here's the problem. You can't undo unrighteousness by adding righteousness to it. Is that right? So imagine taking toilet water and adding some good water to it, and then you're going to drink it. No? How many of you say, I'm out? That's what, right, that's what acting like, well, I'm going to be good from this point on in my life. The, the formula doesn't work like this. Unrighteousness plus righteousness equals righteousness. No. Unrighteousness plus righteousness equals unrighteousness. Isn't that right? And especially when our righteousness is unrighteous. So we have unrighteousness, and then I'm going to try and live a certain way, and that will make me righteous. No, it won't, because that righteousness is unrighteousness. So here's his ledger. Sin. How's it going to be paid? Belief. Abraham believed God. And what did God write? He accounted that as righteous. He added it up and said that faith is sufficient to pay for the unrighteousness. That's grace. Isn't that just a gift? That's, you can see how that's not works. That's grace. That's mercy. That's unbelievable. That's the gift of God. So now, look at verse 7. So let's verse 6 for the context. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So who are the children of Abraham? The people that are of faith. Isn't that right? But here's the problem. There are all kinds of people who believe that because they are of the physical lineage of Abraham, that they can go to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that they that are of faith are the children of Abraham. Now, here's where the, here's where the mix-up comes. you got people who believe that because Israel rejected God, that God said, I'm done with Israel, my covenant with them is over, and now Christians who believe in Jesus Christ, they are now the true Israel. No. No. Not at all. That's not true. Um, where's Rick? Rick, where are you from? From Chile. And so you were a citizen of Chile, is that right? Where are you a citizen now? Amen. Isn't that awesome? Rick is as much an American as Jim Alter. And I was born in Pueblo, Colorado. All right? So Rick from Chile, he has become a citizen. The way that I understand it constitutionally, he can do everything in America that I can do except become president. Is that right? And no one's voting for me, so we're the same. <laughs> now, who's called the father of our country? Amen? Now, you kids, he was our first president. 
<laughs> I know some of the, the curriculum you know, skips some stuff now. It starts with, there was a war, and then Martin Luther King came. Um, oh, I'd like to stop there. Here's a man that's a whoremonger, wicked, debauched communist who made some good speeches, and let's make him the hero. Let's get rid of George Washington's birthday, and let's... Okay, so anyway. And I'm for civil rights. I'm for equality under the law. Amen? Aren't we all? But can't we find somebody better than a whoremonger like him? Um, George Washington, <laughs> the floppy spitting, where was I? How do I get back? Where do I go from this hatred back to this? Um, George Washington's the father of our country. Is that right? My heritage is Germany and Ireland. My family came to America, maybe, on my mom's side, 70 years ago, 80 years ago. On my dad's side, they were here from Scotland or whatever before that. But maybe just in the 1820s. George Washington's not my father. He's not in my, my, my lineage. There's no connection with George Washington. What's the connection? I'm an American. We use this terminology all the time. Here's the problem. When theologians take this children of Abraham by faith, and now that makes us the true Israel, that violates the Scripture. And we're going to identify that in the book of John here in a minute. That violates the Scripture to do that. I am He is my father spiritually, and according to the Word of God, spiritual lineage supersedes or overrules physical lineage. Isn't that wonderful? And so how does that affect me? How does that affect me? Patrick Kennedy, come up here with me. Patrick Kennedy comes from a long line of idolaters. Maybe. <laughs> when you say the name Kennedy, what do you think of? <laughs> this is awesome, isn't it? <laughs> you know... Do you know what Ted Kennedy said when he found out his girlfriend was, was going to have a baby? We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. That's what people think of when they think of Kennedys. Right? So imagine that he's from that line. What changes that? What changes that? If he gets saved, if he gets saved, his spiritual lineage supersedes his physical lineage. It doesn't matter what his father and grandfather and great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather did. It doesn't matter that they were booze runners and, and election fixers and murderers and, and, and adulterers. It doesn't matter. If he's saved, he now has a spiritual lineage that makes him a child of Abraham, which means by faith. He's believed the Word of God and has trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins a new heritage. He begins a new lineage. That spiritual birth, that spiritual heritage overrules the physical. Isn't that awesome? Now, I praise the Lord that I grew up in a Christian home. And I know that Patrick got saved as a young man. I praise the Lord that I have a godly heritage. Isn't that wonderful? But that doesn't mean that Jacob is going to have a godly heritage. Jacob has to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and raise his children and nurture and admonition of the Lord in order for him to have a godly heritage. Because it's not about physical. It's about spiritual. That's the idea. Thank you. So now what we see is, look at, look at what it says in verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Every person in every nation, in any place on this globe... The only way anyone has ever been justified, declared righteous by God, is by faith. That's it. 
There's not your way and my way and one he made many ways to heaven. Uh, I remember C.S. Lewis in his book, um, Mere Christianity. He said, Christianity is like a, a hallway. When we get to heaven, it's going to be like there's a hallway. And there's all different doors that get to that hallway. Yours might be Catholicism. Yours might be Anglicanism. Yours might be something else. But they're all different doors on the one hallway. No. No. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There are not many ways to God. There's only one way to God. Any person that's ever been saved, it is only by faith. And yet, in churches all over the world right now, based on time zone, there are churches all over the world where people are coming in and someone says, how do I get to heaven? They say, oh, feed the poor. Feed the poor. Oh, there's so much injustice in the world. If you want to get to heaven, what you've got to do is take care of someone less privileged than you. That's not found anywhere in the Bible. Do good works. Here's how you get to heaven. Cut your hair a certain way. Dress a certain way. Pray a certain way. Live a certain way. And that'll help you. That is what's going to take you to heaven. No! Not at all. Anyone who gets to go to heaven, it's only the way that Abraham did, and that was by believing God. That's it. If someone adds something to it, hey, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to believe God, but you've also got to be baptized. Because if you're not baptized, you can't get to heaven. No, not at all. The only way that anyone is justified, the only way you can get to heaven is for God to declare you righteous. The only way that you can be declared righteous is based on your believing God's Word. That's it. That's the only way. All right? So, first of all, we saw that Abraham believed God and was accounted him for righteousness. The second thing is, this principle is true of every man and every nation. All who believe God's word will be declared righteous by God. Look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Let's see what God says about this. I think it might be a little too cool in here this morning. Is it too cool in here this morning? Can you guys take care of that back there for me? You never, how many of you think that something's wrong? <laughs> All right. Um, look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified, remember what justified is declared righteous, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is redemption? Well, that is that Jesus Christ created us and then we fell into sin. And so He came and with His own blood, He bought us back. He created us and then He bought us. My dad used to tell this story. I remember when I was a kid, my father was a pastor. He would tell this story. There's a little boy and he made this boat and he spent hours and hours and weeks making this beautiful boat and he loved it. He took it down to the creek to, to sail it and a big wind came up and blew it down the creek. So he ran along the side of the creek for as long as he could, but he couldn't catch it. The water was moving too fast and he lost it. It was gone. He was devastated. He was heartbroken. A few weeks later, he went downtown and he was walking down the street and he saw in the, in the window of a store his boat for sale. So he went in. He was so excited. He went in and told the shopkeeper. He said, hey, that's my boat. I made that. That's mine. Can I have it? He said, for $15. He said, no, no, you don't understand. It's mine. It's mine. He goes, no, I bought it. I bu Someone brought it in here. I bought it from them. It belongs to me. If you want it, you're going to have to pay me $15. So he went and he mowed grass and he delivered papers and for weeks and weeks and weeks worked and saved up his money and went in and bought his boat as he was carrying it home. Someone said, that's a nice boat. He said, you don't know how nice. I made it and then I bought it. That's what redeeming is. 
He redeemed His boat. Why? Because He loved it. Jesus Christ created you. You were lost under sin in this world. So He came and He gave everything. He gave His all. He lived a sinless life. He was tortured and died on a cross. He was buried for three days and then He rose from the dead, conquering death forever and paid for you with His blood. So now, let's go back to our verse. Verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace, free to us, cost Him a lot, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. What is propitiation? A satisfactory payment. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Now look at what it says in verse 26. To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which worketh hard. What's it say? Which believeth in Jesus. So here's what happens. Abraham, what was put before Abraham was, look up to the sky. You see all those stars? If you can number those stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abraham believed God's word. He believed in the Lord is what the text says. Genesis 15, 6. He believed in the Lord and God counted that to him for righteousness. We're not told to look up into the sky and count the stars and believe that. We're told to believe in Jesus Christ. The object of the belief is different. The requirement of belief is the same. It's belief in God's word. And we are declared righteous based on that. Look at chapter 4, Romans 4. Look at verse 11. When Abraham believed God, he was given something, a sign to mark the covenant that God had made with him. Look at verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, look at what it says, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be, might be imputed unto them also. So here's the idea. When Abraham believed God, God made a covenant with him. He made an agreement with him. And a, a sign that he gave to him was he circumcised him. That's not our sign. That was his sign. As a matter of fact, his belief in that circumcision marked him that he had believed God and that God had counted him righteous. That's what the text says. Do you all see that? But he also says that he's the father of us. Who We don't have to be circumcised to be saved. We don't have to do that. That's not the sign that he's given us in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the sign was circumcision. What's the sign in the New Testament? What are we given as the sign that we're saved? Now, if you grew up Protestant, you'd say, well, baptism. And that's why they baptize babies, because you would circumcise a baby. Well, then the sign for Christians must be baptism. The only problem is there are no babies that are baptized in the Bible. Not one. Not one. What's the sign that we're given? Ephesians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians is the next book. Look what the Bible says. Verse 11. In whom also we, having obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. So what does that mean? God has ordained before the foundation of the world how people will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. All right? Verse 12. That we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. Trusting and believing. That's the same thing. All right? that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, all, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory." Now, remember the, remember the picture that we have. Jesus Christ has saved us. Isn't that right? When He saved us, He put a seal on us. What is that seal? He gave us the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God lives in me right now. 
And here's the wonder. He, God doesn't have locality. He's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at once. So if there are 200 people here today and 200 of us are born again, then the Holy Spirit is in all 200 of us. Isn't that wonderful? And if the Holy Spirit's not in you, then you are not saved. You're not born again because that Holy Spirit is the seal. That's the sign of the relationship that you have with God. Right? And that's awesome. And what that Holy Spirit is there for until the redemption of the purchased possession. So let's go back to our story. Little boy made the boat, put it in the creek. It got away from him. He saw it in the store. He bought it. That's where we are. Isn't that wonderful? But do you know what he did? What God did? He left us in the world to tell other boats. <laughs> he left us in the world. One of these days he's coming back to get us. That's that redemption of the purchased possession. We've been redeemed. We're saved. We're in Him. And that's wonderful. One of these days we're going to be with Him physically. That's what that passage is talking about. That's the seal. That's the promise. That's the sign that we've been given. All right? So Abraham was given circumcision. We're given the Holy Spirit of God. Now, the Jews in Galatia trusted that they were acceptable to God because of their physical lineage. Remember what the problem is. Here at Galatia, the Apostle Paul had gone and he preached the gospel to these people, but now some Jews have come into that church at Galatia and are telling them, you've got to obey the law in order to be a Christian. Right? That's what's going on. And they were trusting their physical lineage more than the spiritual lineage. Jesus Christ had already dealt with this. Look at John chapter 8. Y'all doing okay this morning? If you'll hang with me, man, we're going someplace really cool. John chapter 8. Look with me in verse 37. I know that ye are Abraham's seed. All right, so he's speaking to Jews. This is Christ Jesus speaking to Jews. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. You got to mark that. Because my word hath no place in you. How did Abraham get saved? By believing God's word. That's how he got saved. He believed God's word, and God declared him righteous based on that belief in his word. Now look at verse 38. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. You ready for this? They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. What did Abraham do? Believed God's word. Is that right? These people were not believing God's word. They were trusting in their physical lineage. They were not trusting in his word. So, look at what's going on. They said, We must belong to God... Because we came from Abraham, we belong to God. Now look what the Bible says. Verse 40. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I heard of God. Now look at what he says. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. You see that? Why did they say we be not born of fornication? Because of the virgin birth. Mary was with child before she had been with Joseph. So Jesus Christ here is being accused of being born of fornication. Now, how many of you know Jesus Christ was virgin born? See, they didn't believe. Isaiah 7.14 said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. That's what the Bible says. They didn't believe his word. Do you see that? That's what Jesus is telling them. Now, look at what it says. Verse 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father, the devil. I always think it's interesting when my plain speech, people think a Christian shouldn't talk that way. 
Jesus said to these guys, do you know who your father is? Satan. How do you like that? Is that what Jesus said to them? You think your father's God? Your father's the devil. How do I know that? Jesus, rhetorically. How, how would Jesus Christ know that? Because they don't believe his word. You either believe in God or you believe in the devil. Those are your only two choices. You're, you're, there are only two families in the world. The family of God. You get into the family of God by believing the word of God. Like Abraham did. Until then, you're in Satan's family. That's it. Those are the only two choices. Man, that's insulting. It's just the truth. Now, look at what the Bible says. Verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there was no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye will not believe me. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's, what's it say? Words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. How about that? It's, the Bible makes it very clear that God revealed the word to Abraham. He believed the word, and that counted him to righteousness. These Jews did not believe the word of God because they were children of the devil, and so they were not born again. Is that right? So the Bible says so clearly. The tragedy this morning is that religious people, the world over, have been told to do something other than believe God's word to be righteous. Jesus said, Abraham didn't belong to God until he believed the word of God. And you won't belong to God until you believe the word of God. Until then, you belong to the devil. That's what the Bible teaches. Go back to Galatians now. So what is this children of Abraham thing? Well, you're a spiritual child of Abraham when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Why? Because Abraham came to the Lord by faith. He established that for us. Now, look at verse 8. And the Scripture... Now, all this is introduction. I'm almost to my sermon. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith... The heathen. Who are the heathen? Who are the heathen? Those are the people in the Australian outback. No, it's anybody that's not Jewish. Okay? How many heathen do we have here today? All right? That's what the Bible says. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So the Bible says it clearly. We spent some time on this a while back, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But just get this. When God spoke, when God spoke to Abraham, Abraham believed that. Amen? What does God call that? Scripture. But what's so interesting about that, what is Scripture? Script. That's writing. That's writing. There's no difference between what God said and what's written in your Bible. It's the same thing. That's what God's saying here. Do you all see that? It's very clearly. Abraham believed what God had said. That's Scripture. What are we supposed to believe? The Scripture. It's very simple. All right? And that's exactly what Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees. So, in Genesis 15, the Bible says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. In verse 6, he believed in the Lord who spoke the word, and in Galatians, the spoken word is called Scripture. So Abraham believed what God said, and that was the same as believing in the Lord. So here's how, what you did. When you got saved, you stopped arguing with God and objecting to what God had said about you. You stopped arguing about your sinful condition and the only remedy. And you believed what God had said about that. You believed that you're a sinner... And your only hope for eternal life is salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing in Him. You learn that through the Word of God. The Bible says that we are, we are born again by the Word of God. It is the instrument of our salvation, just as the Word of God was the instrument of Abraham's salvation. Not his works, his belief in what God had said. All right? Now... I believed God about my sin, about the remedy, and about my future state, heaven or hell. 
When you believed God's word, you believed in the God whose word it is. That's why Satan is so busy trying to destroy the word of God in people's lives. Don't believe it. Yeah, how do you know that this is true? Well, I promise you it's true. Amen? All right, so now, here's where we are. What happens when somebody believes the Word of God? They're given that sign of the Holy Spirit. Look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? We're back to the same mistake that everybody makes about the book of Galatians. They think the book of Galatians is only about salvation by grace through faith. No. Is that included in it? Yes. What's the point of it? Living the Christian life by faith, the same way that you got saved. Living the Christian life by believing the Word of God. Pastor, what are you talking about here? Okay. I have no righteousness. I have to get righteousness from God. I have no truth. I have to get truth from the Word of God. I have no life. I have to get life from the Word of God. Uh, truth. Whatever we think is right is usually wrong until we go to the Word of God. Is that right? How many of you ever tried to wire a three-way switch? How many of you thought you had it right? And it wasn't. Why? Because it makes no sense. You say, okay, this is coming in. It's going out here. It's going to go over to that. This is going to work. This is going to be awesome. It's not working. I don't understand. And that happened to me. I had to wire some three-way switches in our house. So what did I do? I went and bought a wiring diagram. And I, I looked at this diagram. I didn't understand it at all. But here's what I could do. This one goes here. Uh. Oh, this one goes here. Uh. It works. Why? Because the diagram was the truth. What I thought was wrong. I had to have something in writing that helped me understand the right way to do it. I still don't understand it, but the light still works. <laughs> Amen? Uh, how many of you really don't understand how God, through His grace, could save us through the blood of Jesus Christ? How many of you don't understand that? But did it work? <laughs> That's the truth. I don't have any truth. The Word of God is truth. I believe that. And He counts that as righteousness for me. All right? So I have no righteousness, I've got to get it from God. I have no truth, I have to get it from God. I have no life, I have to get it from God. I got all of this when I believed the Word of God. Everything that fits me for life in this world and in the life to come, I get through believing the Word of God. Now here's the question to the Galatians. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you not made perfect by the flesh? How did you get saved? By believing the Word of God. How are you going to live the Christian life? By what you think is right? No, it must be by believing the Word of God. So now, here we are. We are to the message. This is the message for this morning. From this text, you cannot separate what's happened to Abraham from the foolish Galatians. Abraham believed the Scripture. Now you, you were saved by believing the Word of God. Why do you think you can live in this world without living in the Word of God? Let me read some of this to you. As a saved man, I'm justified in the sight of God. But I'm not justified in the sight of man. You know, as I look back at my life as pastor here at Grace Baptist, here in a few weeks or a month or whatever, we will have been here for 15 years. And in those 15 years, I wish that I had lived every moment in the community as a perfect child of God. I wonder if there have been times when I was short with someone in a grocery store. Not short, but short-tempered. I wonder how many times I was that. I wonder how many times that, that maybe I got mad at somebody who was driving slow and went around them or whatever. And they said, hey, that guy's the pastor at Grace Baptist Church. I wonder. You see, at some point in my life, my visible life needs to match the invisible truth of my relationship with Jesus Christ. How's that going to happen? I just need to try harder. No, that's the problem. Oh, foolish Sidians, 
Those of you who got saved by believing the Word of God about Jesus Christ, you must believe the Word of God about your behavior in this world. What you think is right is probably wrong. When you try to change yourself, it'll work for a little time. The only thing that's going to get you through this this world as a child of God, visibly in this world, is obedience to the Word of God. It's living every moment, every day, in familiarity with, in fellowship with, in knowledge of His Word, and then submitting to it. How? Through that Holy Spirit that's in you. That's what the Christian life is all about. I am justified in the eyes of God by believing the gospel. I am justified in the eyes of men only when I live a life that is an ongoing, continual act of believing the Word of God and obeying the Word of God. Then and only then will anyone know that I am a child of God on my way to heaven. I'm perfected forever in the sight of God. I know that I get to go to heaven. But nobody else will know that. Nobody else will know that. In this life, it makes me a sorry witness if I have to continually say, well, nobody's perfect. Well, could you maybe be a little more perfect? Somehow, what I claim to be and what I appear to be need to bear some similarity. How many of you have ever had somebody you witness to them and they say, well, I'm a Christian, I got saved, I'm saved. And you're thinking, really? Now, I'm not saying that that person's not saved. What I'm saying is what they appear to be has no resemblance to what God has done for them. The Bible says that you are a fool to think that if you couldn't get right with God one moment in time on your own righteousness, you're a fool to think that you can live a Christian life on your own on the basis of your righteousness. How'd you get right with God in that one moment of time? You heard God's word and believed it. How are you going to live right tomorrow? It's going to have to be by hearing and believing God's word. Christianity that doesn't read the Bible, doesn't preach the Bible, doesn't teach the Bible, doesn't believe the Bible is what you're dealing with every day. I was on the way here this morning. How many of you heard about that Italian cruise ship? I listened to somebody that was interviewed, and they were from Wallingford, Connecticut, which was interesting to me because I used to live in Wallingford, Connecticut. There was two ladies, and they were on this Italian cruise ship. And they, they, had, they had just been on the cruise ship for a few hours, and they were going to explore. And she said, really, what we're going to do is we're going to look for a bar or a club. We're going to party. She said, now, we couldn't find the bar yet, but as we were going down, we found a, a, a chapel. And so my mom went in and said a prayer. Well, that's nice. How many of you, that's incongruent right there? Why? Because we have a different kind of faith. We have a different kind of faith than that. And yet, and yet, I heard someone say one time, this preacher, that a guy would come to him and say, man, last night I got drunk, but I want you to know, the whole time I was drunk, I testified about the Lord Jesus Christ. This preacher said to him, the guy's name was Bob, he said, Bob, here, do me a favor. The next time you're drunk, don't say anything about Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Somehow, what we have needs to be there in our appearance. And the problem that we have right now is that Christianity is so afraid to say that believers ought to behave a certain way that they have rejected any kind of norms, any kind of standards, any kind of righteousness. And if someone teaches righteousness, then that is somehow legalism. That's completely false. My salvation is based only by believing God's Word. But my daily life demonstrates that as I believe what God says about my daily life. It's very simple. Now, how do you tell if you're believing God's Word? How do you tell? All right, a couple of verses, we'll be done. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And let me say this. We had said that spiritual is better than physical when it comes to your lineage. And that's true. And we say, well, that's what the Jews thought. But that's what a lot of Christians think. You say, are you saved? Well, I grew up in the Baptist church. I grew up a Christian. I grew up in the Methodist church. I grew up in whatever church that would still preach the gospel. I grew up... That has nothing to do with whether or not you're saved. 
And yet we hear that all the time. Laura asked someone, when did you get saved? This lady said, well, I guess I've always believed. Well, you've always been lost. If you've never come to a point in time when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, believing what God has said about you, you're not saved. Whatever you know about the gospel, that's not applied to your life until you apply it to your life, which happens at a point in time. Okay, now, look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. Look at verse 9 for the context. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish a second. So this is Jesus Christ when he's coming. He's taking away the sacrificial system so that he could be the one sacrifice. Is that right? Okay, now look at verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And, of course, this is why we reject the teaching that Jesus Christ is sacrificed every time communion is taken. Right? He died once for all. Okay? Now, look with me at verse 14. For by one offering He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Perfected forever. You ready for this? Hey, everybody, check this out. Ready for this? I'm perfect. Well, Pastor... I don't think so. See, what is, you know what our problem is? When we think of perfect, we think of sinless. Well, when the Bible says perfect, it means complete. So, when I believed God's Word about my eternal salvation, my salvation was complete. It's done. There's nothing else I ever have to do to go to heaven. Nothing. It is complete. That, isn't that awesome? But what does the world know about that? You see, that completeness, the complete work necessary to get me to heaven was done by Jesus Christ on the cross. When I put my faith in Jesus, everything necessary for me to get to heaven was completed. In the eyes of God, as touching my need for salvation, I have been perfected forever. It is finished. Now go to Hebrews chapter 6. So the apostle has been teaching... And now he's going to move on to some other subjects. But look at what it says, verse 6. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Look, I know that you're justified. Chad, I know that you got saved. Don't stop there. Go on until you are complete in this world. Live a life that identifies what happened in you outwardly in the world. Let's go on to perfection. Don't stop. Now, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So at some point, you've got to move on in your Christian understanding past the doctrine of salvation. That doesn't mean you stop believing in salvation, but you add to that knowledge. Amen? All right. Look at verse 2. We're going to go on past the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. Let's keep moving. Let's go on to a visible, daily, evident perfection in the eyes of men so that we are just before others as we are before God. I remember when I was in college, um, I worked at Sears selling appliances, and they called me Jimmy Swaggart or Jimmy Baker. Why were they calling me that? Because I'm a preacher of the gospel, and they wanted to mock me by men who had lived in a way that violated their message. Now, I don't remember Jim Baker, but Jimmy Swaggart preached the gospel. But he lived a life that nullified that gospel in the life of others. And so that was used as a mockery. But I remember one time someone said to me, Did you see that Jim Baker had a golden room in his house or whatever? And just mocking me for that. This man was a Catholic, and I said, Yes, and the Pope lives in abject poverty. It's interesting how different standards apply, isn't it? 
regardless. That money is not intended for me to live in a golden house. The money that's given to the Lord's work is to be used for the Lord's work. Amen? But what happened was they had lived a life that violated the message that they taught. I don't know whether, as a matter of fact, I think Jimmy Swaggart's saved. I've not followed Baker's life enough to know whether or not he's saved. So I'm I'm not making any judgment there. I think Swaggart's saved. How many of you have seen him enough to know whether or not you'd think that he's saved? I think that he is. But what happened was his life didn't match the gospel that he preached. What about you? It's easy to look at Swaggart. What about you and me? See, at some point, we need to live a life that matches. It's wonderful to have the faith of Abraham and know that you're going to heaven and are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. That's great for you in eternity, but what about the rest of the world? What about the rest of the world? So what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Well, we need to do it the same way they did in Galatians. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. How is this going to happen? How is this perfection going to take place, this completeness? Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Verse 12, Ephesians 4, 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Before God, I'm perfect, but what about in this world? Man, I need help. I need help. Look at verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ. All right, so what did I need in order to get saved? I needed to hear the word of God and believe it. When I did this, that faith was counted to me for righteousness. God perfectly, completely justified me so that I am fit for heaven. So now what do I need to do? I need to not be a foolish Galatian. I need to be under the preaching and teaching of the word of God. I need to be hearing the word of God, loving the word of God, believing the word of God, so that God can perfect my Christian life just as he perfected my justification. I should be a better Christian a year from now than I am today. I should know God more. I should be more holy. I should be purer. I should be more loving. I should be more gracious. I should be more kind. I should be more concerned about souls and others than I was the day that I got saved. I need to go on in faith. How is that going to happen? By being under the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Whether it's in this room whether it's in a Sunday school class, whether it's in a discipleship relationship, I need to be hearing and be immersed in the Word of God on a daily basis in order to live properly in this world. Our problem is we think that we can give God an hour of our week and live in the world the rest of the week without ever hearing from God. Folks, we need to be under the teaching of God's Word. We need to be under the influence of God's Word. We need to be in it, reading it, and studying it for ourselves. We need to be teaching it to someone else. I'll tell you what, when I'm discipling someone, I'm living in the Word more than when I'm not. When I'm preaching and teaching, I'm in the Word more than when I'm not. You need to be communicating God's Word. You need to be studying it. You need to be living in it. And so now let's go back to Galatians and we'll, we'll be done. Let me tell you why I'm so excited about this message. You're sitting out there thinking, man, it really wasn't that great, Pastor. Here's why I'm so excited. Man, I want to live like a Christian. I want to have influence among my friends. I've got friends here in the community that, that aren't saved, or if they are saved, they don't, they've not had any Christian influence. I want them to realize... Now listen... Listen carefully. I want them to realize that what I have is better than what they have. Amen? Those of you who have unsaved loved ones, I want you to live in such a way that that family sees that what you have, what you say you believe, is better than what they have and say they believe. 
I've got to tell you, I can't do it. I've tried. So what do I need to do? I need to be daily in this Word, hearing from, from God, meditating on it, having the Holy Spirit of God confirm that in my life, having the Holy Spirit of God make me like Jesus Christ in front of those other people. I can't do that when I'm not around them. You know, it's so funny. We went to Oklahoma after Christmas, the day, or actually Christmas Day, and Laura is an Okie. She doesn't talk that much like an Okie here. When she gets with her mom and her aunt, she is Okie to the core. Everything she says, the way she... It's all Okie. What's the difference? She's close to him again. Arby Willette, pastor, mentor of mine. He says this, nearness is likeness. When I'm with the world, I'm like the world. As a Christian, when I'm with the Lord, I'm like the Lord. So before I go into the world, what do I need to do? I'd better spend some time with Jesus. I'd better spend some time with His Word. Oh, foolish Sidneyans, you got saved by believing Jesus Christ. Why do you think you can live the Christian life without being in His Word? Why do you think you can live the Christian life without being under the preaching and teaching of God's Word? Pastor, why do you think you can live the Christian life without being immersed in the Scriptures and living that out in the world? That's why I love this passage. That's why I love this message. Because the answer to all of our problems in this world is found by this. Believe God. Believe God's Word. You say, I believe in God. You can't believe in God without believing His Word. Lord, thank You so much.